0: Hello everyone, it is Ryan here, host of the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. Now this is a podcast where I get to have conversations with some amazing people from all over the world who have stories to share, experiences we can learn from, and knowledge in areas that we can use and apply to our lives to make us better and happier people. Now each episode has a different topic, but all geared towards helping us along our own pursuit of happiness and helping us understand this journey we call life just a little better. We'll touch on everything from mental health to nutrition, diet, fitness, travel, adventure, relationships, and believe me, much, much more. All along this journey, I'll experiment and apply some of the advice and information from my conversations to see how it affects me along my own pursuit of happiness and then report back to you. Now, don't forget, if you enjoy this episode or any other episode, please take a moment, subscribe, leave me a rating and a review. It is truly, truly appreciated while also helping get these great conversations to even more listeners. And on this episode, I get to welcome back Michelle Belanger, who is a psychic medium and occult expert and author, and honestly, so much more as you're about to find out. Now like I just said, I said welcome back because this is her second time appearing on my podcast. Now she was on episode number 19 and I kid you not, it was one of the most mind-blowing and amazing conversations I had ever had in my entire life. Now with Halloween fast approaching, I thought I should reach out to her again to get her back on to ask her even more questions and thankfully she obliged And wow, what another crazy episode that you're about to listen to. Yes, we get into the history of Halloween and how it's evolved over the years. Not only that, we get really spooky with the Ouija board and how they were created, tarot cards and how she's even making her own deck right now. Now we even get into exorcisms and how she's actually been in the room and seen a few herself. Trust me, I have so many questions about this. Now with her being a psychic medium, she's obviously an expert in the area of communication with spirits and I'm obviously not. So I had so many questions on how she communicates with them. And once again, I asked her about the most haunted places that she's ever been. And not only that, she actually owns an Airbnb to rent out for people who are looking to have their own paranormal experiences. I'll add the link to that in the show notes. But I honestly wanted to thank Michelle once again for coming on literally one year after I lost my best friend, my dog, Coda. Now, you've probably heard me mention her name a few times um, throughout my podcast episodes. And uh, it was a really tough day, but talking with Michelle, she made this one-year anniversary so much better for me, as you're about to find out. We do, once again, go into pets and their spirits and how we will see them again which honestly makes me feel so much better i'm so thankful to hear that i miss her dearly and uh michelle i know you know that you can sense that so personally i'd love to thank you and thank you once again for spending a few hours with me just having a ridiculously amazing amazing conversation halloween's coming off so happy halloween everyone and this is such a great way to get the spooky season started here we go Michelle, thank you so much for coming back on. I can honestly say that our conversation, which was nearly a year ago, I'm having deja vu right now, um, was absolutely freaking mind-blowing. It was one of the most um, interesting conversations probably I've ever had in my entire life, not just a podcast, just my entire life. It was everything I wanted and then some. And so to get you back on for a second time Mm -hmm. is... Is amazing to me. I'm thankful. Thank thank you so much for your time. This is going to be incredible again. So thank you, Michelle. Um, oh, it's
1: spooky season, so there are many
0: fun things to talk about. Oh my god, yes! And by all means, so as you know, I gave um, I gave you an outline. But if there's things, if there's tangents you mm. want to go on and talk about, take the lead. I'm more than happy to give it to you. But uh, yeah, so. I contacted Elyria um, a few months back and I said, listen, I would love to have Michelle back on regardless of when it is, but I was like, October would be kind of cool. You know, we have a little spooky season coming up. We got Halloween coming up and uh, we're, we're no doubt. We're going to talk about that. But first and foremost, like I said, it's been almost a year. What have you been up to?
1: Uh, writing a lot, surviving the pandemic, uh, getting back into uh, writing games. I, I used to be a big role-playing game person and designer. Wow. Uh, so there have been recent developments where you can create sort of like, so, like a story, but also a game like a journaling adventure. Uh, and I've just been, I don't know, finding ways to to play with that. Um, filming some more stuff with Katrina and Jack. Uh, And, you know, just hanging out with cats.
0: So does that mean season four is coming out for Portals to Hell?
1: I don't know if there's been an official release for, yay, they've been upped for a new season, but I can say that I have filmed with them recently.
0: That's awesome. So, for those who have not listened to episode one, I believe it's number 19 on my podcast. Let me reintroduce you. So, you have a lot of titles. A lot of people know you as the psychic medium from, from Portals to Hell, which is currently airing on Discovery. But you're also a writer. You have many books. We can touch on that. Let's see. We also have an occult expert, a presenter, a singer, and a media personality. I got that from your website. You do many things, and you're also very, very knowledgeable in many areas. I actually listened, we listened to our podcast this week just to kind of get my brain back into, Mm. back into our discussion here. And re-listening to it was like, wow, you are really educated. (laughs) (laughs) You you really are. You have a lot of very interesting expertise in a lot of areas. Um, So what have you been uh, writing lately? I know you're a big writer. Mm.
1: Oh, let's see. The current projects have been stuff about reincarnation, uh, psychic protection, and uh, developing a number of different cards that are kind of not exactly a tarot deck, a little bit more uh, versatile than a tarot deck. Uh, They're called contemplation cards. So they're just a single word. is like a a journaling prompt or a meditation prompt, but it can also be used for, for divination. So playing with creating decks, creating uh, sort of interactive experiences, and uh, always a focus on spirit communication, psychic development, and fun things like that.
0: This is, I'm already mind blown. Okay, so as far as psychic development, and even your psychic medium abilities a lot of the stuff the world these days is online, like we're doing right now via Zoom and everything. How has that impacted your abilities and other, other people's abilities as well?
1: I've got to practice remote viewing a lot more. Uh, Katrina and Heather Taddy, um, both alums from Paranormal State, were filming something over the summer, and because of COVID, there wasn't like the option to like travel out and be there present. So we... They hit me up to try and experiment to see if I could read the locations from where I was at, just from at home. Um, And I had done some work with that with Richard Estep as well um, on the Monroe House and another location that I don't think I can disclose yet. So I think the fun thing has been finding ways to adapt to being online, to being at a distance uh, and realizing that, uh, especially if psychic abilities are real, Distance is not that big of a deal. It's more about focus and intent. Can you make a connection to that person on the other end? Mm. You know, you're not sending your psychic energy down through the digital like waves, like something out of the matrix, but you're connecting to a person. Like I can see your face, I can see your eyes. I can hear your voice. I can get a feel for your personality. And if I can do that, then I can bridge that gap. We can essentially be in the same space even though we're not physically there.
0: So I know that I had asked Elyria about the possibility of you reading me if you wanted to, by all means, you don't feel obligated to do mm-hmm. that. Um, is that the more we have a conversation, the more we talk, the more perhaps you can look into what I'm asking for? Like, mm-hmm. how does that work?
1: I get impressions from people pretty much all the time. A lot of my psychic development personally has been learning how to block it out so that I can just, you know, go out in the world and not be bombarded by, by everybody's stuff. But th- my one hesitation for doing a reading here is I don't do readings for hire and I don't mm-hmm. want to give people uh, the impression that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of my psychic work is reading locations and not people in uh, reading spirits and not people. That's not to say that I that I can't. Uh, but it's not my preference. Uh, I've been, in in the past, I have definitely done like tarot readings and stuff at uh, charities uh, and only at charities to raise money for uh, breast cancer awareness, things like that. Uh, Design my own tarot deck, you know, teach people to do their own stuff, but I'm not sure that I'm comfortable just doing a reading even without pay uh, because there's, One of the things about doing the work for Portals to Hell and the remote work for Katrina this summer is there's nothing that will front load me. Um, If I'm being told, here is a location, I don't know what the location is, I have a blindfold on, or in the case of the remote viewing, there's literally like a blank screen that I'm looking at. I don't get all caught up in myself wondering, you know, do I think that you're nervous about a commitment that you're going to make soon? Do I think that you are like really, really want input, like are really invested in getting input about a big decision that you're making, a big change that you're making? Um, And one of the other reasons that I would hesitate to do that is there are a lot of scammers out there. And I don't Mm. want to encourage people to seek validation from a psychic when that validation, you already know those answers. Everybody's got these intuitions. You know, it it would just be me being like, you know, Ooh, I can tell this thing and you already know, and you know what you want and you know what you're hoping to have come out of it. Mm. And congratulations.
0: Yeah. Well, the thing I really liked about our first conversation too is how like somewhat skeptical you were, you were, you're like a realist when it mm. comes to this, which makes you way more believable <laughs> than these scammers that you mentioned. And um, so honestly, like I'll, I'll be super honest with you. Our mm. conversation almost a year ago was very helpful to me personally. Um, I don't know how much you remember of this conversation, but uh, when Elyria had said, yes, we can schedule something for October. Yeah. One of the reasons I picked this date was on purpose um well,
1: no because you'd, you'd lost you just lost like your beloved companion you and, actually remember or, that really,
0: yeah
1: oh yeah absolutely like and and just watching you like go through the stages of grief and struggle with that and especially so much of our culture most of the major religions like tell us that you know dogs don't go to heaven dogs don't have souls and I think that that's bullcrap uh, I think that they're intelligent and they are committed and they're loving beings. And of course they have as much soul as the rest of us.
0: So yeah, I, I absolutely remember. You made me feel so much better. It just, I won't say that like gave me closure or anything, but it just gave me a final, like a positive thing to grab onto. And I have never, for, never gone a day without thinking about what you told me the fact that I will see her again. And she's around and like, no matter, like if I move or I change change location, locations, it's me that she gravitates yeah. to. That's I mean, tomorrow's gonna be a rough day for me and having this conversation with you, whether we talk about her or we talk about other spooky stuff. Like, honestly, this is a really good conversation for me to have personally. And I'm thankful for your you here to join me. And I, I honestly, I know I can't thank you enough. It's uh, grieving is um, something I'm still learning about. I'm um, obviously a little, little bit of a better place than I was uh, you know 11 months ago, 12 months ago. but uh, yeah, I just want to go ahead and say thank you and, and it means a lot to me that I, I, If you truly remember that, that's incredible. And the only reason I brought up the whole reading thing was if you get a sense of her somehow some way. Hmm. I mean, I've
1: I've, since since the last thing, like it was really obvious that she's still around you. Um, There's there's such a strong bond. And I think that's one of the things for people to take away. You don't need a psychic to tell you that a loved one is near. Hmm. If you're quiet. If you're even asking the question, are they there? You're just looking for someone to give you a second opinion because you know that they're there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that, uh, a couple weeks ago, I don't know if it was anything or not. Might as well just share the story. Um, a few weeks ago, my girlfriend and I were sitting in the couch was watching football on a Sunday and, uh, I, we hear some kind of a noise, like a scratch or something. And I was like, what the hell was that? And we all looked and didn't see anything. Okay. So we moved about our day two hours later. So she sees something over near my fireplace, like spark or light up. And she's like, what was that? And then um, one of the puppies was went, walked over there and started staring at the fireplace mm. for probably two or three minutes. And then I get up to go get a drink and I look around the corner and I have a gallery of nine photos on my wall. Only one of them has Coda, my dog in, in it. And that was the one that was starting to fall off the wall. That's what the scratch was. It was literally mm. coming off the wall. Yeah. And I, it took me a second. I was like, oh, that picture is falling. That's weird. It's been up there for a year and a half. Then I said, hold on a second. That's the only one with my dogs in it. And I was just, I don't know. Maybe, I, like you said, people look for things. People try to find reasons. I know I do that. I'll fully admit that I do that. But I noticed that. And I was like, that's something. Because this has been up here for a year and a half. All the other pictures are mm-hmm. fine. Never an issue. And I just found that to be weird. That happened all within like two hours or so. So um, yeah, you, you gave me a lot of hope, honestly.
1: <laughs> well, and, and grief is, it's a crooked path and it's never quick. Uh, yeah. And, you know, society doesn't really give us a lot of tools for dealing with the grief of losing a companion animal. Yeah, uh, We don't have a lot of tools for grieving people either, but it's, right. it's weirdly harder um, you know, I, I had a cat Cornelius and I lost him in 2013. And there's, there's animals that you've had and there's, there's like that one that's like, like really like your, your, your little like, I don't know, your, your yeah. little like heart, heart pet.
0: Yeah. Uh, yep.
1: And I cried harder for that cat than I did when my mom died mm. because I could have a conversation with my mom and like my mom, like, like we were able to process leading up to it. And our animals are, we, we make this little compact to take care of them, to look after them, uh, you know, where we're so entwined with their lives and yeah, it's, it's tough. What I mean is don't get down on yourself. Uh, if you're still finding that there are sad days and days where you miss her terribly mm-hmm. because that's, that's normal. That's okay.
0: Yeah. yeah and I do. Um, and you're right about, like the whole like pet thing compared to humans, like some people just don't get it. You know, like if you're having a terrible day, like I start watering up, you okay. And then you tell us, well, my dog died. Oh, well, it's just a dog. You know what I mean? Like some people don't get it. And so I don't know who I can talk to about this and who I can't sometimes. And, you know, being open and honest with you, last podcast that we had knowing that you were such an animal lover and your response to me was just that was everything I needed at that moment and like I said I still hold on to those words today so if anybody who's listening to this and hasn't listened to that episode please go listen to it um, it was amazing and that part I remember is around 57 minutes 58 minutes occasionally I fast forward to that part and I listen to it again I listen to your words again and uh, yeah it just gives me hope and, and the hard thing about for me about the pets was I remember when you know she passed, And I just kept thinking in my mind that she didn't deserve that. She didn't deserve that. And because pets, they're just all good. All the memories are highlights. Whereas like humans you are going to have bad moments and great Mm -hmm. moments. This was a highlight reel of an entire life. There was never anything negative and it's, that's super difficult to comprehend. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like I said, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Now I'm curious to know with this gift you have, I call it a gift. You may not call it a gift. We'll call it an ability. I was wondering, are you happy you have this? Like, I know you're kind of like stuck with it now, I guess, if you will. If you had to start life over again tomorrow, would you pick to keep this or would you not have this anymore?
1: I can't imagine my life without it. Hmm. It's so much a part of me, how I interface with the world. Uh, there there are occasionally like some downsides. Like I said, like, you know, learning how to shield out and, and block out, uh, like lots of emotions and feelings. Like if I'm in a crowd, like, so I'm not picking up everybody's stray thoughts and like, you know, everybody's bad day, but no, it's, it is as natural to me as breathing. Uh, and if there's one thing I struggle with it at all is, treading that line between someone who has this gift and experiences stuff regularly and someone who's educated, rational and skeptical by nature and like finding this balance between allowing myself to experience but also allowing myself to step back and analyze and question and go well but the way the brain works with sensation and perception like this could be this and this could be that and you know rule out everything But even that is a part of my process. My journey is like studying it, not only experiencing it, but analyzing it and researching it and and putting it to to the test repeatedly to just get a full sense of the shape of these abilities.
0: Do you feel like that's expanding your horizons? Because I feel like last time we talked, you're still like honing your skills and practicing it constantly. Like, is there a way you can shut this off or is this always on?
1: There are ways to kind of like find the volume dial and turn it down. Uh, I've, I've met some people who sought to shut it off. And all that did was, you know, when, whenever you have any part of your personality that you haven't resolved and you just repress it, you just shove it in the back of your head and pretend that it's not there. It doesn't mean that it went away. It just means that you're no longer controlling it uh, and you're likely to have it control you then. Hmm. Uh, so, so all the people that I've met who tried to shut it down willfully Uh, are really struggling with the consequences of that. Way easier is finding ways to tone it down, to to shield uh, the things that I do that are immersive, like when I'm writing, um, not just nonfiction, but when I'm writing stories, when I'm playing a game, when I'm designing something artistic, that's uh, a place that I go that has such pure focus that the other stuff is just background noise. Like I don't mm. really know.
0: Okay. Swimming,
1: swimming is another thing that I do to just sort of decompress and detach from all of the other things that I perceive.
0: Yeah, that's great. I can imagine physical exercise is something that's probably really good for someone who, someone in general whose mind constantly works and wanders. Um, that's probably really good to help you sleep. And uh, is sleeping ever an issue for you?
1: Generally, no. Uh, I. I sleep well. I dream vividly, always have, um, I have a very, very rich dream life. Uh, but no, generally no trouble sleeping.
0: That's awesome. So I want to get to the origins of Halloween in just a moment, but, but we are, while I brought my dog up and trust me, I will move on. People, people are tired of listening to my dog. I'm curious. I'm curious about this, this story, Cause this is something that like I told my girlfriend a, a few weeks ago, I said, no one can convince me otherwise, but this is definitely the case. I wanted to get your feedback on this. So I am, I just turned 39, um, semi older for, you know, still date in the dating world, I guess, if you will. Um, and I had been really looking for somebody to settle down with for a few years now, just looking, just trying to connect with somebody like that just really wasn't happening. And, uh, I don't know. Like, to me, it's like, there's more than a coincidence that I met my girlfriend, Kristen, literally one week before CODA passed. And Kristen met her once for maybe about 10 minutes. And three days later, she passed away. And to me, maybe it's just me. That is her giving her blessing and passing her on to bring her into my life and saying, yep, I can go now. I, like I said, maybe it's a story that I tell myself, but it's like 15 and a half years of having that dog. And I finally found the girl I'm going to marry at some point. And that just happens all within a few, a few days. To me, that's just like, that doesn't happen. I don't know. I would love your feedback on that.
1: I think synchronicity plays a big role in our lives and a lot about each person's experiences. When there is a meaningful event, do you choose to accept that meaning Hmm. for whatever it says to you? Or do you just, I don't know, swim along in a nihilistic reality and be like, no, nothing has any meaning at all. Like it's all just, you know, completely random. I have no control over anything. Yeah, Uh, I've, I can say this: is I have had experiences personally where a confluence of events was so unlikely uh, that something had to be working, uh, something bigger at, at work, kind of making that happen. Um, you know, whether it's you know the, just the shape of the universe wanting to uh, blossom in a certain direction, or if it's a higher power, or whatever you want to interpret it as. Uh, Actually, my, my, my story is related to pets. October always stands out to me because I've, I've got three cats um, mm-hmm. currently. And I mentioned Cornelius. Uh, a year before Cornelius passed, uh, Remy showed up uh, who is this big fluffy Maine Coon. He was a kitten, he was just out wandering around and he just walked right up to me, laid on my feet and was like, hi, I'm coming home with you. Like <laughs> wow. There was no question about it. Uh, and he showed up the same day I got Cornelius when Cornelius as a stray walked into my house Wow. Um, in October uh, of 20, uh, probably 2000, a very long time ago.
0: <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Right.
1: <laughs> but the, Cornelius showed up the day after uh, I had had a conversation with friends. We'd just learned that the townhouse I lived in was going to allow pets. So I was like, here's all the things that I would want if I were to get a cat again. And like, I'd want, you know, I'd, I'd want a neutered male. I w- want, want him to not be a kitten, like, you know, just old enough to be been like pre litter trained, nice, gentle soul, like smart, like, like all of these things. And this cat shows up the next day and just walks into my house from who knows where.
0: Right. Wow. <laughs> so,
1: I, things happen and you can choose to say it's totally random and there's no meaning. But I think life is richer when we accept that there's deep meaning to be found if we look.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And like I was saying, I don't think there's anybody that can convince me otherwise. I just completely feel that Coda, for anybody who knows me, that dog was my best friend, period, for over 15 years. And I just, I truly honestly feel like that was her blessing and saying, you have what you need now. I'm okay to go. I, I'm getting like choked up thinking about it because I, I, I honestly feel like that was the case, you know, 15 and a half years, like, yeah. really. <laughs> so, oof, okay. Um, I got a lot of my personal questions out of the yeah. way, and that's very needed. I'm gonna have a rough day tomorrow, so like I said, I appreciate yeah. that, but um, you know, I'm also a lover of the very spooky stuff and uh Halloween here we are it's common just a few weeks away I would um love to get the story and the origins of how Halloween started maybe how it's kind of transformed a little bit over the years
1: it's a uniquely American holiday uh it has its roots in Irish and Celtic practice uh the word Samhain, which some people, if you see it spelled, you will probably be tempted to pronounce it Samhain, um, but, but it, Samhain is, is more appropriate uh, a pronunciation. It was summer's end and winter's beginning uh, for the, the Celts. This was the new year, um, the death of the old year and the beginning of the new, but the, the new year started with winter uh, and everything was about putting your affairs in order and and settling things down. And in in most cultures, when there's a transition time, it's also liminal. So a big change in seasons or the change of one year to the next um, is seen as a liminal time. And by liminal, I mean threshold. Uh, It's a point where doors are seen to be open that might not be open during more ordinary times of the year. So there's a very old and deep belief among the Irish Celts that this is the time of the year when spirits walk abroad, and specifically on All Hallows' Eve, as the year would pass from one side to the next. And you would leave out offerings for the spirits of the dead, and you would have something like a dumb supper. Uh, and, And dumb supper is in nobody speaks, you would sit and you would share a meal and you would set places at that table for all of the departed family members that you wanted to honor. Wow. So in your case, you'd put out treats.
0: Yeah. Out treats. And my other dogs would eat them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's okay. It's not, it's not going to waste. That's very true. So... Uh, As Irish immigrants uh, came over to the United States, there were various uh, sort of mischievous aspects of, of Halloween as it had developed over the years. So it wasn't just a somber holiday about spirits of the dead. It was also a kind of wild night where spirits were abroad and where they would come and play pranks, which often meant that it opened the door for the local kids and teens to take up the guise of spirits and play pranks themselves to come and beg at people's doors for the offerings soul cakes candy something sweet uh in the shape of the spirits uh as kind of proxies for the spirits so that you you feed the spirits you give them a gift so that they don't Uh, cause you trouble and so that they bring you good luck in the rest of the year. Well, that has turned over the years, over the decades at this point, into uh, dressing up as ghosts and goblins and spooky things or your favorite uh, Marvel character these days. Going door to door, asking for candy. Um, And, you know, we, we say trick or treat, but very few people do the trick part anymore um it's certainly like the early 20th century uh halloween night was a night of uh well vandalism (laughs) like just just like petty vandalism kids running around egging houses and, and causing stuff tipping stuff over on people's things and and just getting into the spirit of of causing trouble as this liminal time where all of the rules and boundaries go away. Uh, My favorite part of Halloween or Samhain, of course, is the point of reaching across and communicating with the deceased and also making a kind of, you know, a catalog of who you lost in the previous year and who you miss and who you would like to see again, or at least think fondly about. And having a day where you set some time aside for that is pretty powerful.
0: Mm. No, that really is. Wow. It's, uh, it's crazy how things changed when they become Americanized, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, whether good or bad. But uh, well,
1: the, the church took it too it because it was a pagan holiday that they couldn't quite stamp out. Uh, the, the Irish Catholic Church turned it to Hallows Eve, All mm. Hallows Eve. And November 1st is All Souls Day. It's still a celebration of the dead, uh, but they tried to kind of sanitize it and pull it away from the fact that it wasn't just spirits of the dead, but it was fairies and imps and goblins and all sorts of things. You know, any, anything um, wild and, and spirit in nature could come and walk abroad and might be walking the streets under the guise of a regular person. Uh, so we get the word Halloween from All Hallows Eve, Hallow Eve, Halloween. So Halloween.
0: And have you had any personal experiences on Halloween that perhaps is slightly different than the other day of the year?
1: I'm, I don't know. I, I will say that for me, spooky season starts uh, about midway through September as the leaves start to turn and it goes through the dead of winter and into early February, like that dark side of the year. And I don't know if it's, you know, that ghost hunting, there's that big
0: thing where everybody does it at night. Uh, I have, I'm gonna ask you that. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead.
1: And and I think that that has less to do with where the spirits are comfortable and more where people are comfortable making contact. And the dark side of the year is the same thing for me. Uh, I don't know. If explicitly there's some vast door that opens as the seasons turn, allowing spirits to pass in and out more freely, or if as the world is starting to die around us, as the leaves turn and it starts to get cold and things don't grow and our thoughts turn inward and we have to kind of, you know, hibernate a little bit, that our thoughts then turn toward other things. We're not as distracted by living we're not as distracted by you know all the things that we can do during the spring and the summer and with less distractions comes a greater awareness of the quiet things that happen around us subtle signs and the ways in which spirits do communicate they're not loud they're they're not showy or at least rarely are they so at night in winter in the autumn as things get quiet as our thoughts turn inward and we become a little bit more reflective, I think we notice more.
0: Hmm. Well, honestly, what you just described is a lot of people's lives, I guess, almost the last year and a half with the whole pandemic, you know?
1: And notably a lot of, uh, I, I know that there are reports of hauntings and experiences that are up. Uh, and I think again, because people are kind of forced to, be in that reflective mode. I mean, there there is also the undeniable, like, mind-boggling number of of recent dead mm. uh, that that yeah. I don't think we can uh, completely discount. Like a mind-boggling number. But at the same time, you know, when when you are forced to inhabit the same space and you have little contact, you either find things to do with yourself, or inevitably you're, you're going to have some time where you just start to really learn what does your space sound like normally Hmm. so then you notice when something is out of place like what you were talking about with the scraping sound and the hearth and even the dog noticing that something was there
0: yeah no that's that's a really good valid point it's funny because so my girlfriend and i watch all the shows the ones a year on and other ones and stuff we love it and um She's like, why don't they always do this at night? Can you please ask Michelle, why is it always at night? Um, do you feel like you can probably get the same answers, perhaps have a same, similar investigations if it were during the day? But I mean, I imagine nighttime kind of sets the mood a little bit too for drama on TV as well. Or
1: It, it's, it sets the mood, but there's a couple of really practical concerns. At night, more people are asleep. There is less ambient noise. There's less traffic, there's less noise of, like, you know, neighbors outside, kids playing. You don't get contamination with the haunting. Uh, So late at night, you're much likelier to hear anything that's not a person. So I think that that has a practical aspect to it. But, yeah, there's definitely a certain mysticism to just stumbling around in the dark and just, like, letting it be all ooky spooky. Right. Lloyd Auerbach, um, who is one of the few folks who's got a degree in parapsychology, he teaches at the Rhine Institute, uh, made a point of noting that when they do investigations as parapsychologists, as opposed to ghost hunters, there's a a slight difference. uh, They do it with the lights on because the human eye can be so easily tricked in the dark where shadows will seem to be something. And if you're not really, really careful, and honestly, it doesn't matter how careful you can be, uh, your eyes can play tricks on you. The, um pareidolia is, is a real thing. It's, it's another reason why I, why I will do the investigations blindfolded to just remove sight from the equation completely. So I'm not just like staring down a dark hall going, is there something down there? I thought I saw something. Like I just go with my instincts
0: instead. Yeah, that's, I think that makes you way more credible because I do see those shows where, like, I think I just saw a shadow. Well, maybe, but also, like, I know you're also really looking for it too. You yeah. know, so, if, you know, every noise you hear and stuff, like, yeah, you're, you're, everything's heightened a little bit, but you're also looking for it too. So I wonder how much of that is, is credible. But, uh, you know, the whole blindfold thing is pretty amazing. And uh, we'll get, we'll get to some of your locations. I just recently, recently saw momentarily, but um, I want to ask this question. I'll see if this makes sense with the whole world going through what it has been going through now with, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. Do spirits feel that and perhaps even feed off of that at all?
1: It depends on the type of spirit. Uh, good Good spirits, family entities are certainly aware of how worn out and worn thin so many of us are. Uh, I think that it has inspired many to like be a little bit more present as guides and guardians. You know, are there negative spirits that would feed off of that too? There, there are definitely things that, that feed off of fear and terror and, and, and whatnot. I would say this, the general soul-grinding malaise of the pandemic is more like more like an environment, like standing in a room that is full of smoke. Uh, it's it's in everything, like it saturates your clothes, it's in your hair, it's everything you breathe. The types of spirits that I've interacted with or, or witnessed that feed off of people's uh, fear or pain or whatnot prefer intense, immediate, like interactive things. There's this sort of like general blah. I'm being ground down because life sucks. I don't, I don't know that that's as useful, but I could be wrong.
0: Okay. And uh, I remember our last podcast, you talked about there was like a Fisher price toy that would go mm. off when people walked into the room. Um, I'm well, I'm blanking on the term when things move across the room and, um, By spirits, what's that term called? Um,
1: Uh, Psychokinesis, telekinesis?
0: No, um, it's when objects are moving. I know
1: telekinesis if it's a person doing it. It's an apport if an object just shows up. Uh, But the Fisher Price toy still still does its thing. Like I've tried to, I've I've shook it up. I've like jumped up and down in front of it. Like I've I've tried like all the different things to be like, is it just broken? exactly right and then every once in a while okay more than every once in a while it just it seems to play in a way that seems like an intelligent response like it's responding if you're like did you just do that and you'll do it again and it's just it's unreal (laughs) like like my my brain just like just just hits this point of like but but maybe it's just
0: broken that's so cool no the, the word i'm thinking of is poltergeist Ah, Would that be considered poltergeist? And I'm curious to know if you've had any weird experiences Hmm. with any poltergeist activity.
1: Okay. Uh, Poltergeist, noisy spirit. Uh, It's a German word. Depending on whose interpretation of poltergeist you're going for, poltergeist is either any spirit that causes like physical things to move around or a poltergeist is a specific type of paranormal phenomena that's usually tied to a person, a living person, not to a spirit. Uh, The, oh, let's see, Harry Price and Colin Wilson and a number of other folks, uh, Lorraine Warren too, Ed and Lorraine both, who did investigations into poltergeist activity, identified um, what they, uh, a living person, typically a person going through adolescence or puberty, uh, who was the nexus of this activity, whose emotional turmoil was causing unconscious psychokinetic activity. Basically, they were the ones moving stuff with their mind, with their energy, they, not as a spirit. Uh, now, that's not to say that spirits don't move things uh, and, and can and do, possibly using the same mechanics that people do. But classic poltergeist activity is usually... Uh, a person
0: that is mind blowing. That I've never, never, ever heard that before. You feel very confident in saying that as well.
1: Uh, I, I I can cite five or six different books that have looked into it, uh, wow. and the Enfield poltergeist. Uh, I know was I'm trying to think of what which one of the daughters Lorraine felt was the the focal point of of the haunting. And there's a couple of others that come to mind Um, it's usually a girl doesn't have to be but something about latent psychic ability coupled with a lot of emotional turmoil and stress and the chaotic hormones of that transition in life uh, seems to be a particular recipe for some really weird stuff
0: wow that's amazing. Yeah, never heard of that. But now, now that you just said that, I'm going to look into that more. That is super interesting. And I remember you mentioned. I saw it on your website too. You own a, a haunted Airbnb for people to come and visit. Correct? I do. Explain more for anybody okay. listening to this. Okay. I would love for you to explain that. That is super cool.
1: So I'd been looking for a place to run weekend retreats and classes because I teach psychic development and dream work and a bunch of things. And some of that would be better suited if we could like do a couple of workshop things, let people sleep on it, have experiences, come back and have conversations. So I'd been looking for a place uh, that was, you know, that that had the right atmosphere, was obviously within the right price range. uh, And I felt it would be a bonus if it was haunted uh, but I wasn't holding my hopes up. Uh, uh, we, we found a couple of properties in Oberlin, Ohio that fit the criteria for like space and look and feel and updates and like it wasn't crumbling. And this old brick farmhouse that was built in 1869 and finished in 1870 uh, came on the market and it dropped into our price range. And walking into the space, I was like, oh, oh, this is the one, this, this is, this has something going on. Uh, And it was an open house. And there was a whole bunch of people like, you know, those one family with like a couple of kids and everybody split off. And I just sort of like found a little corner to, to wait until everybody had drifted away to like have a little quiet time and just get a feel for the house. And one of the realtors found me and she had mentioned, she's like, well, this house has really interesting energy and you can like hear the air quotes where she's like not saying the house is haunted but she's like saying the house is haunted but well, you look like you can handle it and I'm <laughs> like, yes
0: <laughs> that's exactly what i'm looking for
1: well i i wanted uh i wanted a place that was haunted but not bad traumatic threateningly haunted i wanted a place that could be um, a haunting with training wheels where people who wanted to have an experience, who wanted to develop their mediumistic abilities, their their techniques of spirit communication, could do so someplace safely, where they wouldn't have to worry about having something uh, violent or or something that was negative, trying to get attached to them, where they could go and there was distinct and easy to research and then therefore verify experiences. Uh, And, Inspiration House, which is the the little brick house in Oberlin, is is that. It's got a rich history. Uh, One of the families that occupied the place for many decades has an entire website devoted to their genealogy. So it was easy to track down all of these people and their stories. Um, At least six people died in the house over its its time. Uh, I have death certificates for most of them. None of them by violence all of them by old age or complications due to old age. These were people who loved the house enough that they lived until they died in it. And they, they love it still. And that type of haunting that comes out of that is, it's like sharing the house with a couple of elderly aunts and uncles who sometimes have very strong opinions about how you decorate, uh, but otherwise are just happy for the company.
0: This is, um, it's honestly like tempting. So, is it something that I could look into booking, or is this only for your teachings? Oh, it's it. it
1: okay, well, the pandemic happened, uh, so I haven't done any in-person teaching there. We uh, we oh, haven't yeah. listed up Airbnb, uh, and everything is you know individual, self-directed. So, if folks want to rent it as a team, rent it as an individual. And just ramble around there for a couple of days and just get a sense of the house and its rhythms. Uh, There are like little notes and placards all over the place. There's uh, a big book of history with the warning of like if you're there to just do a psychic reading, you know, wait until you've taken your notes to then page through and see, you know, who lived here and who died here and what their circumstances were. Uh, one of my favorite parts about the haunting and inspiration house, and this is a spoiler, but I think it's a good one. It has a ghost dog.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: And it has a ghost dog that is so regularly seen. And so such a clear apparition that uh, the, the neighbors have a special needs son. Um, and he always asks about our dog. Like, like he he wants to come and visit the dog and he sees the dog in the window. And he's described what the dog looks like. And His description of the dog is the same description everybody has given. Um, Mm. It's an English setter. uh, And I was able, you know, one of those confluence of events, as I was researching families that had lived there, uh, I was just inputting their names into like Google and Google Books to see like what would come up, like first name, last name, you know, Oberlin, Ohio. And I found their American Kennel Association registration for Nick Gleam the English setter.
0: Wow. That's awesome. I <laughs> yeah. Love it.
1: So friendly dog. Um, if you're accustomed to dogs, it's not extraordinarily uh, disconcerting to be laying in bed and feeling like something kind of like pop up on the uh, bed or like a little, little scrabble of nails in the hardwood. Uh, the last time I was there, I ended up having a really bad allergy attack. Uh, we left the windows open and something was I've got bad, bad allergies anyway but like I, I was starting to have trouble breathing, but hadn't like really quite caught on how bad it was. And I come awake to the sense of a dog just laying their head on the bed right next to me and almost a sense of whining, like, like, but there was no, (laughs) like, like no, no sense of the breathing, just this presence. And I could reach out and like, feel you know the the, the shape of the skull and the snout like like such a clarity of of this animal and it knows me until i woke up Mm. (laughs) at which point i was like oh i need to not be in this room this is bad
0: wow that's crazy i mean i get that with an actual dog i couldn't imagine really seeing nothing there (laughs) that's amazing and so you may or may not know this is this booked yet for halloween night (laughs) i do not know.
1: Uh, I would have <laughs> to with Airbnb.
0: If it's not, this would be quite the Halloween night experience. People get to it, and uh, for anybody listening to this, it's like that actually sounds interesting. Um, do you know like the percent and/or chances if like someone were to book a weekend? Is it like mm. very likely they would they would find or feel something?
1: Pretty consistently, folks report hearing at least footsteps. Um, feeling presences uh, and often hearing uh, like conversations a couple of rooms over. Uh, and, and that's pretty consistent. So initially we had listed it on Airbnb just because we had this property that was standing empty and we had enough folks staying at the Airbnb who were not there for a haunted experience, uh, sending us, you know, just very polite comments <laughs> privately <laughs> for Airbnb that we were like, YOLO all right so it's haunted (laughs) you can stay here if you don't want ghosts but just be aware that something might like try to crawl into bed with you and it's a dog and it's okay or (laughs) (laughs) like that door rattling it's totally fine it's the old the old dude like he's
0: he's harmless I think my biggest fear, honestly, would be shutting the shower curtain and taking the shower Mm. and closing my eyes. I think that's everybody's, like, biggest fear is, like, closing their eyes and they're a little nervous.
1: There are no shower curtains. All the showers are, like, nice, like, tempered glass enclosed.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, I'll still be nervous closing my (laughs) eyes. Yeah. You're going to see, like, a handprint come up with the steam of the shower. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That actually reminds me of, like, movies. So do you have a favorite scary movie? And this... I'm going to ask another question on top of that. Do you, is there a movie out there that you see as realistic that's mm. somewhat of like a Halloween and or scary movie?
1: Uh, actually, same answer. Um, awesome. And this is the, the book and the movie. Um, the original Haunting of Hill House, the black and white, uh, based off of Shirley Jackson's novel. Uh, the, the novel is brilliant. Um, and she clearly did her research about hauntings and paranormal investigation of her day and the black and white movie it's it's a psychological horror like there's there's there are sort of jump scares but it's more it's really realistic for what might happen in terms of physical manifestations and apparitions Uh, everything happens when people aren't in the room like like the most extraordinary stuff because that's pretty consistently, like, like ghost hunting is often, you're sitting in a room and it's like, if you go looking for them and you try too hard, they get fed up with you and they just kind of like, but the minute you like turn your back, you do something ridiculous, you shut the cameras down, something happens, like mm. they, that is consistent to the point where it's like, they're just mocking you. Uh, but the, the Haunting of Hill House, I'm spoiling a moment. It is the best creepy, delightful moment uh, and they do a great job with it in the movie, where uh, a bunch of people are in this house to do a paranormal investigation. Uh, they've all been chosen because they've got different psychic abilities or latent psychic abilities. Uh, and there's two gals who are staying in a room together. And personality-wise, they couldn't be more different. One is very mousy. One is this very, like, uh, self-assured, very, very overtly sexual gal from the city. Uh, and they're, they're hearing something outside in the hall. And they, at that point, are not going to go out the door and figure out what's going on. And they reach out to hold one another's hand in the dark. And the the, the main point of view character is realizing like Teddy's hand is like, she's, she's squeezing her hand so hard and so hard and so hard. And she finally like cries out. And then the lights come back on and they weren't holding each other's hands.
0: Oh, wow, nice. wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. I'm very interested in seeing this now that it has your star of approval or sample of approval. Uh, I definitely have to see that because I told my girlfriend. So we're going to be watching scary movies all month, scary shows. Yeah. We're carving pumpkins this weekend. So that's awesome. I know she's going to want to find that and we'll definitely watch that. And uh, a lot of kind of what we've been talking about ever since you also hit on tarot cards and I believe you said you're building contemplation cards. I would love to get into once again, kind of your bread and butter as far as a communication with spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, we can go ahead and start with like tarot cards and the contemplation cards. How in the world do these work? I just see a deck of cards and you randomly happen to pop one in front of me and then just start, you know, saying whatever. How do tarot cards actually work? And if you want to go into the contemplation mm-hmm. cards that you're creating, please do.
1: So I come at tarot cards from a Jungian psychology perspective, which is how I started reading them. I don't necessarily think that the cards themselves are magical or imbued with any kind of mystical power. Uh, I'm, I'm going to actually pull up a card. So, yeah. so this is not from my deck. This is from Rachel True's uh, in uh, True Heart Intuitive Tarot. Uh, and, and I got them because like, they're just, they're so like lush
0: images. This is the death card. That's a freaky one for anybody who's listening. Yeah. I get I get yeah. the freaky card, thanks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had these kind of preloaded. Um, okay. Because, because <laughs> there's just some, some gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. Uh, there's another one. So the thing about tarot is they're pictures and every one of those pictures, each piece of clothing, everything anybody's holding, if there are flowers or animals in the background, everything is a conscious choice because it means something. Uh, There's traditional tarot decks where there's very clear meanings that are kind of encoded from the colors to the plants, to the position of the persons on on that card. Uh, So in a lot of ways, it's each card is shorthand for a story. So those symbols, when you lay the cards out, you're really telling a story. And from a Jungian psychology perspective, what you're doing when you tell that story, when you look at the death card and go, well, this is what this makes me feel, you're projecting your own impressions on it, uh, your expectations or your fears. Or as an intuitive person, you're projecting your own impressions about the person you're reading, but you're using the cards as a kind of middleman, a, a kind of step in between. So you can get outside of yourself and tap a little more fully into what story is coming to you if you're trying to read the person across from you. So it's a useful tool that uh, is grounded in symbolism. A lot of that symbolism is very traditional, uh, but tarot has become hugely popular and it's so easy to make decks these days that everybody's doing it everybody has their own spin and their new take on things. And if, if you have ever been curious about tarot or scared of it, honestly, it's stories. Stories in picture. And it has only as much meaning as you choose to
0: give it. Hmm. Do you know the origin of where these came from?
1: Yes, actually, Italy.
0: Because you know, uh, you know everything. <laughs> you literally do. <laughs> uh,
1: I think it fourteen. I I have a bad head for numbers, so I think it was fourteenth century um, Italy, and it was originally Tarochi. It was a playing deck of cards there was a specific game um i'll, I'll pull up death again because we've already had him on here uh death is one of the set of cards in the tarot that are called the major arcana they are also called trump cards and the reason they're called trump cards was they were the cards that you could trump other cards with mm. built right into the deck so initially it was a it, it was a card game uh, now slightly distinct from our regular playing cards, which existed at the same time. Uh, Similar to our regular playing cards, it had four suits. Um, Instead of hearts, they have cups. And instead of spades, it has swords. Instead of clubs, it's wands. And instead of diamonds, it's coins or pentacles. But they're basically one for one otherwise. Uh, And the other slight thing is regular playing deck, you've got a king and a queen and a jack, Uh, and sometimes a joker. Uh, the fool or joker is in the tarot cards, but they've got a king, a queen, a knight, and a page. So there's there's four court cards. And you can still play the game. The game is still played. Uh, but it became really popular to use the intense imagery on these cards to read people's fortunes. And that has become something handed down uh, in the... 1800s, especially, uh, there was sort of an occult renaissance where folks, especially in Western Europe, were super interested in everything mysterious, magical, and weird. And a lot of mythology about everything from from tarot and, and magic a lot of mythology was developed, stuff that we're familiar with now that we might assume is true, that the tarot was uh, created in Egypt, that it's a secret book of Toth, that it's uh, inhabited by spirits. Like all of these were stories that were built up by occultists and sometimes intentionally fabricated in order to make it seem ookier and spookier. Uh, So it was like this sort of grandiose thing to be able to read it. Mm. But It was a humble card game.
0: Hmm. A lot of things seem to come from games. And so obviously I think you know where I'm going here because the most popular, I guess, way to communicate with spirits people think of is the Ouija board. And Mm -hmm. the Ouija board is something we did touch on a little bit last podcast, but I want to hit on a little more. That was my question to you is how does something that is in like a toy store that people can buy how, does, how, how do we go from that to communicating with spirits and or mm. we'll just say demons or whatever you want to call? How, how does it jump from a toy to that? Well, um,
1: especially the story about the Ouija board and demons, like the whole demonic possession thing. It wasn't the first time where it was addressed, but it became embedded in the popular imagination once the 1973 Exorcist came out, Uh, media, the stories that we tell, uh, whether they're right or wrong, and usually because it's a story, it's going to be skewing toward uh, at least, at the very least, a dramatized version of the truth. Uh, gets stuck. In our heads, like everybody sees it, everybody sees little Reagan like playing with the planchette on their Ouija board, and that's how she gets possessed. And then it's pea soup and head spinning time. Uh, so Ouija boards have a bad rap now, mainly because of the way they've been portrayed in popular media. Uh, earlier, the biggest reason that they had a bad reputation was they were they were a flirtation game uh, in you know the the late. 1800s the early 1900s this was something that you did in the parlor with uh, you know, the young lady or young gentleman that you wanted to get a little close to uh, and there were a lot of rules about how you could or could not court but in order to work a Ouija board you all have to lean over this table and get real close. That's
0: what and I was had- doing wrong I, I didn't know
1: this <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was a courting game it was a, a fun silly pastime Uh, There there were things that were connected to the spiritualist movement, and uh, late 1800s and early 1900s, talking to dead people was all the rage, uh, especially in Western Europe and in the Americas, Uh, and there's interesting sociological reasons for that, the Great Wars, uh, the influenza pandemic, like, like all of these things, death was on people's minds, the survival of their loved ones was on people's minds, so there's a lot of reasons why it appealed to people and the sort of development of the Ouija board. Robert Murch of the Talking Board Historical Society uh, can give you a much clearer timeline than me, but it started with um, spirit wrapping and not like, you know, the modern (laughs) game, but literally wrapping on things. Um, The Fox sisters in Hydesville, New York, are uh, pretty much credited with starting, sparking the the spiritualist movement. And they were a couple of kids who felt that they were having a conversation with the spirit and it would knock as as a response. And it would have like an intelligent conversation, like, you know, knock once for yes, knock twice for no. And lots of people started to get really into having spirits communicate with them to knock. Uh, They would have them spell out messages by counting The number of knocks based on the number of the letter in the alphabet. Now, imagine how tedious that would get, especially if it's Zozo. Right. (laughs) So people started to innovate and like have letters laid out. And like, if I point to this letter, would you knock? Is that the right one? And so the Ouija board developed out of this attempt to communicate with spirits. Uh, And it was a marriage of a board of letters and also something called a planchette, which is sometimes also used for automatic writing. Uh, The old planchettes, you know, it's that little heart-shaped pointer on the Ouija board. It used to be a little wooden thing with wheels and a space for a pencil. And you would have it do the same thing, move around, but the pencil would go across on a piece of paper and possibly write things out that were legible.
0: Now, have you had any experience whatsoever with a Ouija board?
1: I mean, I was a teenager, so of course I played with them. Uh, (laughs) But I've also had more serious um, interactions with them. A lot of people are worried about Ouija boards because of, again, the threat of demonic possession. My bigger concern with Ouija boards is something called idiomotor response, which is really the main way that they move. Uh, short version is uh, we do micro motions constantly. We don't even realize that we're moving. The rhythm of our body from our, our pulse to our breathing, it makes us move. If we're trying to hold perfectly still, we cannot. We are not statues. So when we are sitting with our fingers on a planchette expecting it to move, we are not consciously moving it, but we are unconsciously always moving a little bit. And so much more likely than spirits, it's the action of the people sitting on the board that makes it move. Uh, And this is why you will get a lot of sessions that will give people exactly the responses they expect. Mm. Uh, So there are ways that that's not to say that it is a completely invalid tool. Um, There's a lot of things that use micro motions that, work off of that dowsing rods and water witching and pendulums all of those things like they they're in a human's hand a human is unconsciously moving them to one degree or another in the same way that a tarot deck is a bunch of images on a card and those images have meaning and we can choose to put meaning there we can tell ourselves a story or we can use the story as a vehicle to tap into our own intuition we can use that as a vehicle to tap into our own abilities to perceive and to communicate. So just because we are unconsciously moving this thing around doesn't mean that we're not in contact with something. It gives us a sort of excuse to have an experience. Mm. Most of us shut ourselves down. Most of us go, that that wasn't anything. Like where we've been trained that we can't communicate with spirits, that that's all in our head, that we're just reading things into things. But if you've created a situation where it's okay, it's just fun, we're just playing around. Some of those boundaries go away, some of the restrictions go away, and it does allow for a potential for communication. With the caveat being, you may also just be talking to yourself. Mm
0: I'd have to imagine though, because it has been such a craze that if it is a spirit that was once living, they probably mm-hmm. understand what that board is actually used for if they're actually like seeing it. So yeah. if, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. And um, I know you just mentioned Zozo. I is Zozo's name in that book behind you, with The Dictionary of Demons.
1: Yes, technically. I gave Zozo his own entry because Zozo doesn't exist, um, not historically anyway. Uh, So although it's a popular Ouija board demon, if you imagine what a Ouija board looks like with A through M or N, uh, you usually have, you know, you've got a Z on one end, you got an A on the other end, and an M and an O or an N and an O. Okay. so. It's easy for it to either spell out ma ma, no no, or zozo. If all the Ouija board is doing is just swinging back and forth across the letters, which is m- the most likely activity when what you're doing is just idiomotor response—literally just the people on the board expecting it to move, but not having a message and not having any—it's—it's it's just cycling across these. You know, two arcs of letters stopping at either end and the people sitting on it are expecting there to be a message. So they're like trying to make sense of like, was it, is is it on the Z? Why is it on a Z? Is it Zaza? Is it Zozo? Is that a name? That must be a name. It doesn't spell anything. Hmm. It's a demon, a demon with air quotes uh, created by our perceptions and expert, expectations based off of the very ordinary experience of idiomotive response on a Ouija board.
0: Well, there goes that people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sorry (laughs)
1: sorry to to myth bust that one, but like that, that one is, and and, and as, as a, as a demonographer with a degree in comparative religious studies and the number of books in Latin and Italian and French and Spanish that I've dug through um, even some of the German stuff, Zozo isn't there. Um, there are so many names. I mean, there's like 1,700 names, and uh, those are a small portion. Zozo's not there. Um, wow. That that demon didn't exist.
0: That's honestly that's good to know. Uh, I love when you bust a uh, bust a myth for all of us because um, you do have the Dictionary of Demons right behind you, the book that you've written. Yep. Um, I remember last time talking to you about like you know different tiers, I guess if you will, of levels of I don't know what you want to call it, evil, maybe. Um, mm. Is there a demon that is like the most evil that would spell, I guess, maybe the most trouble if you were to encounter it?
1: I think that all depends on a person's belief system. Uh, you know, if you're a Muslim, it would probably be Iblis. Uh, and if you're a Christian, it's going to be one of probably five, you know, Belial or Asmodeus, maybe Beelzebub. Of course, Lucifer is a fan favorite. Uh, and in, uh, oh, well, I'm not going to be able to rattle trippingly off of my tongue any of the the demons from Hindu or Tibetan Buddhist uh, or or Taoist uh, ways of looking at things, noting that demon is kind of a wibbly term at that point. Um, But (sighs) demons are very much an issue of both, it's where belief, history, and mythology converge. Uh, There are theological positions about what demons are and whether or not they are real and which ones are the big bad ones. And then there are folkloric, uh, historical, and mythological positions. Uh, The one thing that I try to do with the Dictionary of Demons is Although I've got a degree in comparative religious studies, it's with a concentration in psychology of religion. So I didn't feel comfortable being a theologian in in that, uh, in saying you should believe that these exist, or this is, is definitely a thing. Rather, I come at it from the perspective of a folklorist. Here are what people have believed. Here are practices. Here's writings. Here's where to look to decide for yourself whether or not this is something that seems real. Hmm. Uh, I can say that our concept of demons, or at least evil spirits, is as old as what we identify as Western civilization. So most of the beliefs and practices that we would recognize as possession, as exorcism, um, and the way to identify a demon, You can find those almost word for word in cuneiform tablets in the library of Ashurbanipal, things left over from Sumer and Babylon, um, beliefs handed down to us over the course of thousands of years. Uh, And the names change, but the idea that there is something that is non-human, very intelligent, very powerful, and intensely malevolent with a focus on hurting or controlling humans is an incredibly old concept hmm. and it is something that crosses multiple religions and and spiritual paths
0: and i remember last time we had talked you had witnessed at least one if not multiple exorcism right so as mm-hmm. far as i know you do believe in them you've had some what encounters if you will correct
1: I have had encounters with things that, for lack of any better term, demon's the best word, uh, knowing all of the problems inherent in that word. Uh, I, I have definitely been there for some pretty wild occurrences.
0: Can you explain and go into detail any of them? <laughs>
1: uh,
0: I love these stories. <laughs> I'm, well,
1: no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of which ones I, I can say much about. So exorcisms tend to be... Incredibly private affairs, and there's there's some details that just can't quite come out about it. What what I can say is I have been in the room. Um, in movies, when they present exorcism and stuff, they'll they'll show like people's faces changing and their voices changing and, and stuff like that. Uh, I've seen that in real time, and it is like breaks like like reality breaking. Um, Now also with a psych background, extreme cases of dissociative identity disorder, what we used to call multiple personality syndrome, can have the same effect where a person can go from right-handed to left-handed depending on what personality or alter is in charge. Uh, There were uh, some cases where the main personality needed glasses but one of the altars did not and they had perfect vision. Like really strange things that seem to be tied to how human bodies interface with human psychology. So that said, um, every case of possession that I've been involved in um, as either a, an observer or a, uh, a participator and, and in resolving the, the issue, the person who was under possession, there seems to be definitive evidence of paranormal activity, but there were also underlying psychological issues, every single case. Mm. Uh, Now you can chicken and the egg it, if there is a massively powerful inhuman entity that has attached itself to your psyche and is trying to like basically joyride your body like a car, Uh, you're going to end up with trauma uh, and a lot of like psychological damage from that. And this is why um, none of the exorcisms that I was directly involved in with like any kind of groups, there was always uh, recourse taken to psychology as well, where there was either a therapist or counselor present, or the person was also um, being seen by a psychiatrist and was being treated in both directions in the same way that, you know, if you think that your cancer is caused by a spiritual illness, you should still get chemotherapy (laughs) and then also do your Reiki. Like,
0: right. Yeah. That makes complete sense. And does religious provocation and or like holy water and stuff, does that actually work or is that all just kind of movie driven?
1: It's more movie driven. Uh, I would, I I will say this, the intent of the person, goes a long way. Like like that's what some communities I work in call magic. Like if you believe that a certain tool has power, you really are the power behind that tool. Uh, So if you go into something and you are a hundred percent sure that that holy water is going to provoke something, there's a small chance that it will. Hmm. Uh, I will say, dealing, approaching spirits, and especially negative things from a faith-based perspective is, is not bad and it's not wrong. Uh, it's just not narrow. Uh, the spirits don't necessarily care which religion you are. They care more about, do you have faith in what you're working in? Mm. If that faith is real, uh, that's your power. That's your strength.
0: Wow. That is, that is very interesting. How have you witnessed actually, and who have you witnessed drive out like a demon or a possession on somebody?
1: Oh, let's see. I sat in on a couple with father um, Bob Bailey with paranormal state. Uh, I worked with a pagan uh, a Wiccan high priestess to, to do another one. Uh, I've done a couple myself Um by request, mainly by people who were like, I think this is going on, but I'm not Christian, why? Like, like, why, 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 I, I don't even believe in demons. What's going on here? Yeah. Uh, sat down and had long conversations with Lorraine Warren about it. Uh, trying to think of if there's people from various backgrounds, traditions, and and religious practices. And, and it's interesting because like, at the end of the day, the, the approach is very similar, uh, even though like the language may be different. You might be invoking a different God. You might be, you know, the, the words of the prayers are different, but the intent is the same. And so the general look of, of this is a little bit less like, you know, throwing holy water and saying the power of Christ compels you mm-hmm. with an old priest and a young priest, yada, yada, yada. Everybody knows the drill. Um, but it is a grueling, process of basically having an argument with this very truculent spirit that wants nothing more than to own someone, walk into them, speak through them. Hmm. Uh, I think it's important to note that possession is not necessarily uh, a bad thing across the board. There are certain religious traditions where willing possession and transpossession is a- an important part of their religious expression. Um, not by, you know, demons, by, by most people's perspectives, but um, spirits, sometimes ancestors, sometimes uh, loas or arishas are invited to come into someone's body and speak through them and work through them uh, where that person offers themselves as a vessel for that spirit to be present among physical people for a period of time. Uh, And you'll see this with channelers in um, new age traditions. Some spirit mediums will channel spirits as well. Um, I have a like one size, like nothing but me fits in here rule. um, And I made an exception to that once and only once for a deceased friend.
0: Wow. What happened then?
1: Uh, My friend was an organizer of events. Uh, and he was putting on this massive pagan event in Michigan. It had been running since the 90s. He was the, um, the head for it, and traditionally they would do an opening ceremony, and the person who had organized the thing for the whole year was sort of master of ceremonies for this ritual. Uh, he, he died, um, and his wife approached me and asked if I would be willing to stand in for him And she wasn't going to like demand because she knew what my boundaries were. She wasn't going to ask that I like channel him. But if I could invite him and like, like help kind of stand with him. Um, And I was close enough with him and close enough with her and and with the community, honestly, that I, I sat down with him dead as a spirit for, for full disclosure and, and just had a conversation about what this would look like. And I, made an exception and made the offer Uh, didn't fully expect it to work because it's not when something goes really really against your comfort zone sometimes instincts will kick in and I've got pretty strong shields yeah Uh, and once I stepped into the ritual space with hundreds of folks from this convention all in a, a ring around it for uh and this is big, massive ballroom. Um, I remember singing some bits of jazz. Jazz is not my thing. He was also a singer and a dancer. Um, and wondering where those words came from. And then it was like I was watching myself uh, just a little bit outside of my body. That wasn't extraordinary or scary to me. Like I do a lot of out-of-body stuff, remote viewing stuff. But But me, this walking around and having completely different mannerisms uh, and saying things to people in the audience. Uh, it, it was extraordinary. Uh, I don't remember all of it. That's pretty common for transpossession possession stuff. Uh, I got feedback from people who were there. Things that I said to folks who were all mourning him um, were things that only he knew. Uh, and so that was a very powerful
0: experience. Well, that is mind blowing. If someone filmed that, would you watch the film?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I've I, got a scientist mind. I, I would be like, but but, but the thing is, is like, I don't think anybody filmed it. And I think it, partly it was out of respect and everything. But yeah, his name was Michael Wiggins. Um, he, he has the forever 50 party every year because he made it to 50, but no further. Um, mm. And yeah, it
0: was an extraordinary experience. I can tell you you've we've gone from a Zoom call to I feel like sitting by a campfire having a drink in my hand, and I'm just like, tell me more. This is crazy. This is amazing. Um, I have written down here stigmata. Have you ever had any experience whatsoever with the stigmata? Is that real? Like, what do you know about that?
1: I know that there are documented cases, or at least cases that that are documented to most people's. I'm not sure what I think about it. I guess I haven't personally witnessed anything, and so I have a hard time saying it can't be real for anything that I haven't had a chance to actually like investigate for myself. Um, that's my skeptic side speaking, because true skepticism is you hold your opinion until you have like evidence, like objective uh, reality, and then you revise your opinions if you are proven wrong. Exactly. What I can say is I've definitely seen spontaneous uh, eruptions of hives, of scratches. I've seen people bleed uh, for for no apparent reason and there's no wound. Uh, And sometimes this was possibly the result of spirit activity. And sometimes this just seemed to be some internal thing. Um, Now, notably, the human body is an extraordinarily curious thing and Is perfectly capable of whipping up some reactions that seem supernatural. Uh, Some people will get hives from cold where their skin gets so irritated that it cracks and bleeds. Uh, And if you didn't know that that was a thing, it might seem to be spirit activity. Uh, So I don't know. Also, my grandfather would say, mind over matter. Hmm. Uh, Our belief. And that's not even a mystical thing, like just psychology, pure and simple. We can believe in something so strongly that we can start to have our body react to it. Uh, Anybody who's had a panic attack knows that. Mm -hmm. Like nothing is wrong and your body is sure that it's dying because something in your brain or your chemistry has just decided that like right then is the worst thing ever. Uh, from you know, chest pains that feel like a heart attack. You know, you're just just everything. Uh, bodies are weird, so I wouldn't rule out. I don't know that there's a supernatural cause, hmm.
0: but I wouldn't rule it out as as a possibility. And you brought up like scratching and stuff. Is that something you've witnessed too? That seems to be. You know, as hmm. obviously on these paranormal shows, people getting scratched and stuff. Is that something you've witnessed as well?
1: I have seen it a couple of times. Uh, I think it happens genuinely less than people will present. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm a klutz, but you know, rambling around, like I end up with bruises in places where I'm like, I think I vaguely remember banging into like the counter, but you know, where did that come from? So it's easy to forget, especially if it's like a little scratch. But I was working with someone several years ago who um, they were having very, very intense dreams and nightmares. And when they woke up in the morning, they had scratches everywhere, and in places that they couldn't reach. So, like, mm-hmm. they, they they resorted to the point of like filming themselves while they were sleeping to like try to rule out that they weren't like just clawing themselves in their sleep because they were agitated in their sleep. But like, you know, when you've got scratches in the middle of your back in places you can't normally reach, um, and I think we we mutually agreed the person was going through a lot of internal stuff. Um, you know, life-changing, like, internal, like, like, things shifting in the way they thought of themselves and saw themselves. And it seemed like that was kind of coming out on their skin in a way that also seemed to be paranormal, uh, along the lines of poltergeist activity. Wow. Like, it was them doing it to, to themselves, but not with their fingers, not with their nails. Their, their body was reacting to an extreme... Psychological and psychic crisis.
0: Oh, so again, bodies are weird, yo. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. Okay. So I was gonna, I was, I was gonna follow that up with, like, how do people get physical mm. scratches and stuff from something that's not there? It's one of those things the mind can't comprehend.
1: If the human mind can cause things to move or cause harm to happen to you know, you, if your skin can erupt just because of a, a, a thought. Uh, spirits are just that, like they're not even in a body anymore, they're just intention and will. Uh, given the right circumstances, they... So from my observations, it takes an incredible amount of energy and intent um, for a spirit to actually like cross that barrier, to exert the amount of force that's necessary to even physically touch someone so much as to knock over something. It it takes such concentration and energy on their part that it's a very rare occurrence. It's much more likely that it's human agency causing it, but there are rare instances where something happens.
0: Now I remember last time we talked. It was almost like you were talking about almost like layers. Um, I don't know if it. I don't know if you'd consider that an alternate reality or just. I don't know how to explain that, but when I'm thinking of scratches, it's almost like the layers cross for a moment or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty much like like where
1: things just kind of get thin enough that they.
0: Yeah. Over. And you did a good job we were talking about dreams last time or whatever. It's kind of like you you said it's meeting them on their turf. So it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm using my hands now for me listening. Yeah. It's almost like we're just, I don't know if you want to call alternate realities or if there's a term for that, it's almost like when you dream, you come closer to where they are so they can communicate with you. Am I making sense? Is that right?
1: You are making sense. And it is something that humans have believed for thousands of years. Um, Dream incubation was a practice uh, very popular among the ancient Greeks, where they would specifically lay down in temples on a sacred sheepskin and seek out a dream that was a threshold between the mortal world and the world of gods, the world of spirits. It was popular to seek out the tombs of heroes like Achilles and sleep at the foot of the tomb in order to communicate with the spirit. So so having visions and communications and dreams and using dreams as a vehicle for, for that communication is something that people have been doing around the globe for thousands of years, probably for as long as people have been dreaming.
0: Wow. It, is the term alternate Maria, is that right is there a term that you would use for that i don't mm-hmm. really know what i'm if i'm saying is right
1: uh well alternate reality there's so many you, know, you know, I, I i will always do like well there's all these different like all these different terms for it um i think of it as the dream space personally okay. and then um the dream space as as a Point of contact for other spaces and other realms. Uh, alternate reality is usually used more, in, well, you know what? Call it whatever you want to call it, because all of the words are at that point kind of placeholders for something that we don't really clearly understand. Hmm.
0: And is that what your ability gives you to see a little bit is into that hmm. reality a little bit?
1: Yeah, it really feels like I can kind of peer across to the shadow side to like the subtle reality. This this sort of like version of reality that's like one half step off of ours woven within and throughout the physical realm and, you know, a part of and also apart from in some really
0: curious ways. I'm going to get really weird here with this question. Um, time. Can spirits that you know of and or communicate Mm. with go back and forward in time to communicate with you?
1: I personally experience time in a linear fashion. I'm not going to rule out people's experiences that seem to be different. Uh, I don't remember which book I read it in, but there was a fascinating account of a couple of tourists that were in Versailles and who seemed to have time traveled, uh, either that, or they walked into like, you know, just this grand affair of like every spirit ever, but they, they were, they honestly thought they were around a whole bunch of reenactors. Um, and they sort of like moved in and out of, of stuff. And I don't know what to think about that personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, most of the spirits that I personally work with, their memories are very, very intense, so it could easily give the impression of moving from the past and, and being able to live there. They, they wouldn't be haunting a place if they were not incredibly present and immersed in the emotions, the immediacy of the experiences that they're tied to, that they're carrying along. Um, but in a sense, it's more like they exist in an eternal now and not, I don't wanna say that they're outside of time, but their way that they experience emotion and thought and memory, it doesn't anchor them in an experience of time that we have as beings in a physical body. Mm-hmm. Our body requires us to be anchored in now. You have to drink, you have to eat, you have to poop, uh, You know sleep, all of the things like like your body reminds you that time moves. And we have moments where we experience time dilation from a, a purely psychological perspective. They're usually moments where things are very quiet, like you, know, you wake up four in the morning and lay in bed and there's nothing to distract you but your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And a minute can feel like an hour. Uh, stages of grief, stages of elation, Uh, moments of intense creativity can all have that sort of altered sense of the passage of time where it's one moment is no time at all and also forever like like but it's a perspective thing Mm. and I will say that from my own experiences and observations what might seem like time shifting and time travel for spirits is more about their perception of time Uh, and not a difference of the march of time on them.
0: And one thing I have heard, um, maybe you can curl this up as well, is to go back to demons again, but demons have the ability to kind of like see the future and kind of like change the future and manipulate things in the future. Do you know that to be true? Have you heard of that? I've heard of it. It's
1: So there's a really old belief um, and it gets expressed especially in the, the middle ages and renaissance magic although it goes back easily to the the greeks and probably before where spirits the spirits of the dead once they pass over um, have the ability to see secrets and perceive things that are hidden and look under the earth and perceive what's coming as well as what's past and it's less a true thing about spirits, and more, uh, an expression of humanity's belief about what that transition must do or open to people. Uh, necromancy, one of the you know more common things that that's portrayed with it, was calling up a spirit in order to find hidden treasure. I know that that sounds like the most mundane and ridiculous waste of calling up a dead person to have a conversation, but. If, if you go digging around in the, the, the history books from the Middle Ages and Renaissance, like either to, to find hidden treasure or to get laid, like these are the main <laughs> things to call spirits up for. Um, and it's, it's less about what spirits really genuinely can do and more about what people think someone who's made a transition might be able to do. Um, the spirits and buried treasure thing, is actually with that whole idea of the underworld. Spirits Mm -hmm. go into Hades, spirits go down into the earth, like literally into the earth. It's an expression of uh, that belief that they're in the earth. So obviously they know where all the gold is, right?
0: (laughs) This is awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah, mythology doesn't always make a lot of sense unless you want to be like super literal about it. And those beliefs kind of get passed down and we don't always know what the influence was. So now we just hear, oh well, yeah, spirits know all the all the truths and can find your riches and can tell you what's coming. And we don't have like the cultural perspective and oftentimes like the original religion where that belief made sense from their worldview.
0: Well you said get laid so now I gotta ask you. (laughs) Maybe you know where this is going, but do you have (laughs) any experience? or know of anything about the incubus and the succubus?
1: So incubus and succubus. So fun thing, um, incubare and subcubare. So it's Latin and the position they prefer it in is right in the word. Incubare to lay down upon, subcubare to lay beneath. Mm. Uh, So who likes it on top is the incubus, the succubus likes it from the bottom. Anyway, um, so. That that's that's fun fact with demons. You have a lot of fun <laughs> facts, that's for sure. <laughs> um, the the best book to look up it is a free book you can find it like on um, you know Scribner and, and Google Books and wherever um, is a book called Demoniality. Uh It was written uh, in I think the fifteenth sixteenth century, like fifteen seventies maybe, by a fellow named Ludovico Sinistrari. It's a teeny little book. Um, he was Dominican, I think, um, writing specifically on the incubus and succubus demons from the perspective of a Catholic priest who had to uh, basically give you acts of contrition and stuff for uh, Catholics have this whole thing of like, you know, you go and you tell all your sins and the priest tells you what you have to do to be absolved from your sins. So he was writing a manual for what is the nature of the sin if you are having sex with a demon? Is it bestiality? Is it adultery? Is it like, like, where does it fit? Because some of those are really bad and some of those are, say, three Hail Marys and four Our Fathers and you're good. Uh, So so he writes writes this book. His writing codifies most of the beliefs that have come down to us about what these things are. Uh, And... It's interesting because he recounts uh, a woman's interaction with an incubus demon and if he wasn't calling it an incubus it sounds like a poltergeist like a, like like what you were talking about with like the classic idea of a poltergeist because it is a spirit that is attached to her he wants some things from her he gets very trickster like and he knocks things around uh breaks the crockery like if he gets upset he is is incredible expressions of of physical outbursts, um, a little bit like the drummer of Tedworth. And um, so Sinistrari was of the opinion that incubus and succubus demons were non-human entities that were like humans. And if you have any conversance with Islam and their concept of jinn, uh, what he's describing sounds an awful lot like jinn. Uh, And so... All of that is a long ramble to say they are fascinating. The myths about them are bawdy and hilarious. Uh, they were used in the Middle Ages and Renaissance frequently to explain why somebody had a bastard child. Mm. Uh, because this this is a fun one. It was believed that these demons having the ability to change their shape at will uh, would take on the image of a beautiful woman and show up to someone and have sex with that person, a a, a penis bearing person, um, and then hold the seed and then shift form into an incubus and go visit a lady at night and get her knocked up. And so when she was in a family way and the baby came out looking like the parson, it was the demon's fault. It was totally not that they had an affair.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: (laughs) So, there, there's a lot to go into with that, so so it's it's important to understand they 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 connect into um, probably some uh, cultural interchange between Christianity and Islam with the idea of demons and jinn. Uh, they also play into uh, the Mara or hag attack. So there is a phenomena. It's usually associated with sleep paralysis, where in this liminal state, you have a sense of something pressing down on your chest and you can't move in the bed. And it feels like there is something like an actual presence in the room. Uh, as sleep paralysis, that is connected to a little malfunction back here in our brain. When you go to sleep and you dream, uh, your body very nicely like puts itself into a mild paralysis so that you are not acting out your dreams. Um, there's a breakdown when you sleepwalk, obviously. And sleep paralysis is sort of a breakdown in the other direction where you are starting to awake and become conscious and you're not fully out of the dream yet, but your body is still shut down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So since your brain is like half conscious and half dreaming, and it can't quite figure out why it can't move, you end up with this harrowing experience where you're still projecting and dream. And also feeling this this absolute leaden heaviness where you can't move and your body feels almost like it's like vibrating back and forth in the bed. Incubus and succubus demons were blamed for this throughout the Middle Ages and Renaissance. Um, They weren't the only ones um, like Mara and Hagatech. Those were other things that were uh, associated with this. Uh, and it's a matter of interpretation and belief was there actually a demon or a spirit doing it Uh, or is it purely just you know neurochemicals
0: wow i love how i can just throw random questions (laughs) at you and you know the history like the legit history of this it's just mind-blowing and as we continue to to talk I know a question I loved asking you before and I got to ask it mm-hmm. again to see if anything changed was okay. what is the most haunted place you've been? And I remember you saying the trans Allegheny mm-hmm. lunatic asylum was your number one. Is it still, or has that changed?
1: In terms of just sheer number. I mean, I, I'd say I had never been to Penhurst, and I will say that they're, they're, they're kind of neck and neck uh, in terms of how much stuff is just built up there. Um, and that makes me suspect that uh, any of those old, big rambling spaces that were asylums and hospitals, and like like had that same kind of history of both an asylum and a poorhouse and a tuberculosis ward, like all of that just layered on top of stuff. Uh, I suspect all of those are a perfect storm for yeah. an incredibly haunted location.
0: Yeah. I- I remember watching that episode and that was just crazy. And then I remember watching, this is portals to hell we're talking about. I remember watching your Pennhurst portals to hell and you were describing some pretty freaky stuff. With like, yes, I think it was like a horn or something like that. Can you just describe it again? Like what were you seeing mm. there?
1: So it's important to know that when I'm doing the readings, some of the things that I'll pick up are, what other people have experienced, like what they've projected onto the space or what they expected to see. Uh, they t- once I took the mic, the, the um, thing off, um, of what I found out was they put me in a room where it looked like teens or young adults had tried to do a ritual or something, to summon something. Uh, so I was seeing almost like a goat boy uh, that that looked like looked like a classic kind of Baphomet looking thing, like horns and, and everything, uh, and it felt not necessarily like like a full on intelligent spirit, so much as um, like a Halloween costume that a spirit kind of took up because the shape was left there by people. Hmm. Uh, that might sound really weird for folks who don't do readings, um, but people's belief and expectations, uh, people's intense emotional experiences, we leave impressions of that stuff everywhere we go. Um, And these popular haunted locations where people are going to them over and over and over again with preconceived notions of what they're going to experience, they're starting to Uh, in the same way that they leave uh, empty soda pop bottles and cigarette butts behind. They leave behind the shape of what they think should be there. And as a psychic, and even as someone who doesn't necessarily realize that they're psychic, you may walk into a space and perceive this big, hairy, scary-looking thing, and you don't know that's not actually not a spirit that that's that is a residual haunting it is Mm. uh, an imprint it is uh, detritus left behind by people building up what they think should be there uh i've run into the problem with uh doing the walkthroughs at locations that are open as haunted attractions
0: yeah
1: where uh the actors and the, the different themes have started to also like muddy the haunting. Like there's legitimate ghosts there and like intelligent spirits and also lingering like flashes of, of images left behind by someone who is playing like a, a weird butcher dressed like a pig, like, like just, just bizarre stuff that doesn't make any sense. Um, the, the first time I noticed that I could pick up and needed to rule out, like like really identify and rule out uh, the imprint of someone's fears, uh, the imprint of their mistaken impression of something, uh, their own projection of what they thought should be there. I was on a paranormal state case where uh, I had a very clear impression in an upstairs room at this uh, lodge in the Adirondacks of someone who wasn't all about the hiking like they'd come from the city she was having a miserable time uh, everybody else went out and so she's alone in this quiet place she's she's hating it she's a city girl and she like hears something like whooping or hooting out in the woods it sounded really weird and it's night And so she like looks out at the window and like i'm, I'm seeing all of this from her perspective and out in the like woods beyond the cabin she sees what at first she thinks is a person because he's wearing like a jeans jacket and jeans and his hair looks really long. But then he turns and his face is like like a sasquatch or, or something like his face is like all like furry and, and, and weird and like it's just strange and terrifying and completely makes no sense. and I'm, and I'm trying to like figure out like how any of that makes any damn sense. And I'm like, what? Right bigfoot wears je- a jeans jacket like he's <laughs> michael landon now like what, the hell? Like, michael what? <laughs> what? so so i'm like I, i'm i'm either making I'm, I'm either making stuff up or or i don't know well the family who owned the place they weren't there for that but the next day it was bugging me because i'm like okay either i'm just dead wrong but this felt like my psychic impressions feel so like, I need to know like, was this real or am I just telling a fun story? Cause I need to know for future reference yeah, so I can yeah. t- So I'm, I'm in the living room talking about it again. And the, the, the old the oldest son, it was like, hey, wait, wait, you saw what? Like you said somebody saw what? Hang on a second, hang on. I, I, like, I like to play jokes on the city slickers who stay here. I wanna show you my favorite, my favorite thing. And he goes into his room, and he comes out with a Chewbacca, the Wookiee mask. Wow. And he would regularly put that thing on and go running around in the woods, hooting and hollering to just scare the people who were staying at the wow.
0: cabin. Wow. That's crazy that you saw that, too. That's insane.
1: So, So. But what I saw was someone's experience Mm. and the intense emotion her intense fear she's terrified yeah and and perceiving what she saw but it wasn't it still wasn't real like it wasn't actually bigfoot it was a person so so much about it is is understanding context
0: i thought you were gonna say like eastern state penitentiary or something because i know Mm. like they use that for a haunted location anymore
1: i liked that I, i i had a really good conversation with a just kind of friendly dead guy there wow Uh,
0: wow that's that's so awesome i had i was not expecting that answer but uh yeah once again i will say honestly michelle i could have you on for like 10 hours and just keep asking you questions over and over and over again um this has been fascinating mind blowing once again and there's no better way to get ready for halloween and the spooky season it is and listen to this podcast and have a conversation with you. And, uh, as I mentioned before, tomorrow's a really big day for me, really tough day for me to go through, but talking to you, um, has made this hell of a lot better. Uh, and once again, you give me a little bit of hope and, uh, I certainly appreciate that. And, uh, hopefully you give other people hope as well. And, you're just beyond knowledgeable in so many areas. (laughs) It's it's amazing. It really is. I love talking to people like you that have just a vast of knowledge um, that I just clearly do not have whatsoever, but I do have a curious mind. So I feel like that kind of works hand in hand just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, so once again, I would love to give you the opportunity to talk to people about where they can find you, where they can mm-hmm. buy your books, about anything you have going on to look, be on the lookout for. So please go ahead and do that.
1: Okay. Uh, if you're curious about the haunted Airbnb, it's Inspiration House in Oberlin, Ohio. And if you put in Inspiration House in the Airbnb, it will pop up. Uh, it was on a tiny little Netflix show called The World's Most Amazing Vacation Rentals. Uh, on their Paranormal episode. So its little debut was uh, the, their hosts staying for like a, a, a spooky little thing. And you will get to see me use a Ouija board on that. Um, the one that I handcrafted in 99. Wow, well,
0: I'm in, old. I'm in. <laughs> I'm old. That
1: is awesome. Uh, most everything is on my website, michellebellaget.com, which is where you can find all my books and the decks of cards, like the contemplation cards, the tarot uh, and a uh, whole ridiculous number of online recorded classes uh, and if you are curious about learning from me for psychic development or psychic protection or honestly to just listen to me ramble excessively about all of the weird stuff i've read about demons um throughout the however many years i've been doing that three decades now i think i'm old wow you wow. See, see I mean, look young you look young <laughs> and uh that would be patreon.com slash haunted. Easy one to remember.
0: Mm-hmm. That is that's honestly something I would love to just sit and listen to. You've already blown my mind for a couple hours. I've been talking. I would love to just sit there and listen to that. And clearly you're the real deal, Michelle. You're, you're awesome. You're amazing. I can't thank you enough once again. And uh, I hope you got some enjoyment out of this conversation as much as I did. <laughs> because I, I will ask you anything and everything. So once again thank you thank you so much i appreciate it and uh, hopefully there's a new portals to hell coming out soon <laughs> yep
1: i think that there is and i had a really good time with the last little one that we went out to so awesome. fun
0: awesome fun stuff. awesome well michelle once again thank you so much for joining me and i hope to talk to you again soon probably just heard me say thank you about 50 times or so to michelle but i'm going to say it again thank you michelle for joining me you're so gracious with your time and your knowledge it is just truly incredible um the conversations we have is is awesome i really really do hope you enjoy our conversations as much as i do i would love to have you on again in the the future Um, I have still so many questions about paranormal and the afterlife. But then again, don't we all? It's life's biggest mystery. So thank you once again. And honestly, thank you all for listening. I'm certain you enjoyed that episode. Whether you're a believer or not, it is super informational. And once again, please take a moment to leave me a rating and a review. I truly, truly do appreciate that. And I'll continue to bring more amazing, great guests episodes in the near future so everyone have a happy and safe halloween and i'll catch you next time on the pursuit of happiness podcast